Well, I've said a few times this morning, uh, I'm glad to be back with you all. I wish uh, it were under different circumstances. Uh, Brother Jeff called and left a, actually left a voicemail, and it took him a pretty good bit to uh, get out what he needed to get out because he was hacking and coughing and just sounded about as bad as a human being could, uh, could sound this side of the grave, I think. He's... He is, sounds rough, so you guys uh, be in prayer for him. Just know that he, uh, he is not skipping out on you. Uh, he is, he's truly sick. Any of you been to Disney World? Uh, it's the happiest place on earth, right? Uh, my daughter, who's sitting back there, she'll tell you that um, I probably like Disney World more than, uh, more than the kids like Disney World. I love Disney World, although I, do, I did have one pet peeve uh, concerning both times we went to Disney World, um, and it's this. Uh, people there don't appreciate a line. They don't. Most, most of the people there that when we were there, uh, both times it seemed like they, one, they couldn't, they couldn't speak uh, English, uh, and they did not appreciate lines. They didn't appreciate personal space. They would, they would cut in front of you, and then they would act like they, they couldn't understand you. And I'm like, you know, you, you may not understand the words that are coming out of my mouth, but you understand the look on my face. You know, you know that I'm mad. You know that you're not supposed to be doing that, but, you know, hey, it's Disney World, so uh, I'll put aside my anger issue and my issues with people not considering others. It's, one of my, it's just one of my pet peeves is lack of consideration of others. Uh, it drives me crazy whenever people don't take consideration of others. And Disney World is rampant with it. But uh, this morning we're going to be looking at a, at a lady who kind of cut in the line. Uh, and in, in this story, in Mark chapter 5, we're going to see uh, a couple of things here uh, that uh, just maybe at the beginning sort of just baffle us. And uh, she does something very desperate. And people do, uh, when they are in a desperate situation, they, they do desperate things. And while what she does may seem rude, Jesus' reaction to her uh, is maybe even more strange than, than what she does. And in, in this, uh, what we're going to see is uh, the kind of faith that Jesus responds to and what Jesus, ultimately, what He wants from us uh, and maybe what He wants from us when He doesn't seem to be responding to us the way that we expect Him to respond to us. So you'll find our text in Mark chapter 5. We'll be... Uh, reading from verse 22. Uh, I'm not going to read all of this to you at one time, but we are going to cover all of these verses uh, from Mark chapter 5, verse 22 through about 42. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now, we're told that she is 12 in another gospel. 
We're uh, given quite a bit of information here on the front end. Uh, one, this guy Jairus, he's a ruler of the synagogue. Jairus is someone that everyone in the community knows. He is someone who would be well thought of. Uh, he's someone who has standing in the community, and we see his posture before Jesus, right? What does he do? He falls at the feet of Jesus. Now, a man during this time, he's not going to, well, we, we're ashamed to get on our knees today, right? And this society then is, is a much more honored-based society than even ours is today. Uh, a grown man is not going to be seen in public on his knees. So we see the desperation of the situation. He says, my only daughter, my little daughter, my 12-year-old daughter, which in indicates he's probably older in life. Maybe the daughter was unexpected. She is someone who is extremely precious to him. And he says, my daughter is dying. Jesus, and so like we talked about, people in a desperate situation, what do they do? They do desperate things. So he, he falls at the feet of Jesus and says, listen, my daughter is dying. I need you, Jesus. So Jesus went with him. I love that. Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed and thronged about him. So you, you've got the scene, right? Jesus has this man whom everyone knows, comes and falls at his feet and says, my 12-year-old little girl, she's dying. And Jesus has got a following at this time. So people are pressed in around him. They're, they're following along. Uh, they want to see uh, maybe a miracle. You know, they, they want to be associated with Jesus. And so... Jesus went with him. And now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. This is a, a crazy transition, right? Had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. So for 12 years, and get this, Here's a woman who uh, for 12 years has suffered this malady. She can't get rid of it. She's gone to doctors. Doctors won't, they can't take care of her. As a matter of fact, they've made it worse. Now, in all of this, what we see is someone who was, she was sick. Uh, she was un considered ceremonially unclean. She wouldn't have been allowed in public worship. Uh, she probably really shouldn't be in the crowds lest she touch someone and uh, according to Levit Levitical law make them unclean she had suffered a great deal under uh, the care of many doctors she's been this way for 12 years so for 12 years no one has touched her no one's hugged her no one's put their hand on her and and prayed for her she spent her family's fortune trying to get well and instead of getting well, she's, she's gotten worse. She's probably given up hope at this point. One other thing you, you notice about this, says a certain woman. It's interesting, isn't it? It's a contrast, right? We've got Jairus here. Everyone knows Jairus' name. And we've got a woman, no one knows her name. Do you see the contrast? Jairus' daughter, 12 years old, this woman sick for 12 years. Two completely different contrasting situations here. And what we're going to see is we're going to see Jesus meets the needs of both of them. He meets the need of the man whom everyone knows, and he meets the, the need of the woman whom no one knows. He meets both of their needs. He's respected. 
She's rejected. He's a ruler of the synagogue. She's a no one, probably unemployed. Not allowed in the synagogue. His is a household name, and no one knows her name. When she heard about Jesus, it says she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak, touched his garment, grabbed onto just the hem. If, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. You have to wonder what she had heard. What, what had she heard about Jesus? Or maybe she, it's obvious that she has some measure of faith in Jesus. And uh, so she knew something about Jesus. She knew something probably about the messianic promises associated with, with Jesus. You know, that maybe she had heard the prophecy given by Malachi in uh, chapter 4. When the Messiah came, he would rise up with healing in his wings. We know that by the time of Jesus, a legend had grown that the Messiah would be so powerful that even the wings of his garment would possess healing power. So what does she do? She thinks, maybe, maybe this, I've tried everything else, maybe this is my chance. But here's her dilemma, right? She's not, she's not even supposed to be in public. She shouldn't be there in the crowd. Because she's unclean and she is going to make people who come into contact with her unclean. But this is her only chance. So what does she do? She risks public scorn. She fights her way through the crowds. Trying, probably trying to keep her face covered so nobody could see her. Nobody could see who she is. By the way, I, I, love, it. I love the fact that the crowds didn't keep this woman from Jesus. You know, I see a, a lot of people who are kept from Jesus by what everyone else thinks. You know, my, my parents are going to think that I've joined a cult. You know, my, my co-workers are going to think that, that I'm a Jesus freak. Uh, but no, what does she do? She says, forget the crowds. I've got to know the truth about this man because he just might be able to change my entire life. So she fights her way to him, and just as he goes by, she touches. And uh, you know, the, the word touch here is, is probably not the greatest translation because the idea is she clutched his garment. She grabbed a hold of his garment. She, she grabbed it. I mean, forcefully grabbed his, uh, and maybe even pulled his garment. And immediately, verse 29 the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body. She knew it. She was healed of her affliction. And at once, Jesus understands. He knows. Uh, he feels that power has gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? Now, picture this. There's people all around Jesus. And it, it, it would be... Uh, equivalent of you know leaving leaving a concert at Verizon Arena, you know I mean that that's the that's the kind of uh, crowd that Jesus is in, and you know, you notice his disciples, you know whenever he asks them who who touched me, his disciples are like Jesus, are you are you crazy? Uh, but he he knows that power has gone out from him, and that's that's weird, isn't it? That it's like Jesus almost has no control over the fact that this power has gone out from him. It's, it's very passive in nature, isn't it? That, that, not that Jesus said, be healed, 
Not that Jesus, uh, you know, waved his hand over her, but no, she grabbed a hold of Jesus and power went out from him. So it leads, me to, leads us to a question, right? Is, was Jesus not sovereign over his miracles? Did he not know that uh, he was going, that, that uh, this miracle was going to be performed? And obviously we would answer, well, of course Jesus knows. He, yes, he's sovereign over his miracles. And I, I think that God is teaching us something here in this. And it is this, that, that the way that Jesus responds to faith is like a reflex. You see, God will be pleased how? By faith. Because the Bible tells us without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And Jesus' response to faith in Him, is it's like a reflex. It just goes out from Him. Power goes out from Him in a response to faith in Him. So, power goes out from Him. I love that. He is. Uh, Mark's teaching us something about the faithfulness of Jesus, and he responds to faith so reliably that it might as well be a reflex. And he turns around and he says, who touched my clothes? Now again, does he, does he really not know? Does, he's God in the flesh. Surely he can figure this out on his own. Uh, and here's how I see this. Uh, when my kids were younger, uh, we, I'd come in and, you know, say the lid's off the cookie jar. And Kennedy's got, uh, she's got chocolate chip, uh, chocolate all over her face. And I say, you know, who's, who's been in the cookie jar? And, I, I mean, do I not know? Obviously I know. Braylon's sitting there like, a, like an angel. Uh, and Kennedy is sitting there like Cookie Monster. Um, and it's under fingernails and chocolates, chocolates everywhere. What am I doing? I'm, I'm giving her an opportunity to come forward and to admit. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's giving this woman the opportunity to make her profession of faith public. Which is one of the reasons that baptism is an important thing. Listen, if you're here today and you haven't been baptized, you haven't been immersed, you need to do that. You need to make that public proclamation to the world that I am with Jesus, that I put my faith and trust in Him. I know that He is my Savior. You need to make that public. And so it's important for this woman to come forward. And the disciples, you know, they're... Uh, they're not the. You know, if you know anything about the New Testament, maybe you're here and you don't you don't know uh, a whole lot about uh, about the Bible, and maybe this is your first encounter with uh, with Scripture or anything uh, like this. If you if you read, start reading uh, in the New Testament, one of the things that you'll find out is that the disciples were not the sharpest tools in the shed. Uh, they were not the spiciest Doritos in the bag, okay? Uh, they were just, uh, they were, a lot of times they were, literally, they were dunce. You know, they were dunces. I mean, they were just uh, morons. Uh, I, I don't know how to say it any more uh, in, in, uh, politically incorrect. Uh, they, they were just, 
you know, Jesus, you know, how, how can we know this? Uh, you see the multitude around you, and you say, who touched me? Uh, and by the way, these, these guys are going to be the choice leaders of Jesus' church, which kind of gives us the impression that God is going to build His church not because of the awesomeness of His leaders, but in spite of their lack up thereof, right? Um, so don't ever get the idea that you know, uh, God's going to do something mightily through you because you're so awesome or because you're so great. He's going to do it in spite of your lack of greatness, okay? So that He receives the honor and glory. So that it's not about you. So that you're not boasting. So, Jesus looking around, he see who had done this thing, and the woman comes in fear and trembling, knowing that what had happened to her, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And notice what he says to her. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So Jesus looks around and she's got to be thinking, what, what's going to happen? Is he going to reject me? Is he, is he going to publicly humiliate me? He knows I'm not supposed to be here. He knows that I'm, I'm ceremonially unclean and I've just touched him the holiest man to ever walk, the only holy man, truly holy man to ever walk on the face of the earth, Jesus, and I've just touched him. What, what's going to happen? What, what is, what's going uh, to, to take place here? And this is a very important uh, teaching in the New Testament, and we might say in, in the entire Bible, and it is this question, what is it like to be exposed in all of our defilement, in all of our guilt? What is it like to be exposed before a holy God? So, I want you to think about this for just a moment. God knows you. He doesn't just sort of know you. He knows you. He knows those thoughts that you have that no one else knows. He knows the feelings that you have, that you've had, that you've, you've never shared with anyone. He knows that about you. And here's the awesome thing. He still loves you. He loved you enough that he, he takes your sin and your defilement and your shame. He takes it upon Himself. That's what He did with this woman. That's what we see here. He says, daughter. That term uh, is only used by Jesus of this woman in all of Scripture. It's the only, it's the only term. It's a term that scholars tell us is, is like the most intimate uh, term that, that could be used in the Greek language. This woman who no one would have any affiliation with has just been called daughter by God Himself. 
Now, the girl that no one wanted has just been called precious daughter by the ultimate father. The one who no one would touch is embraced by the strongest and most gentle arms in the universe. The name nobody else knew is precious to the creator of the universe. Do you see the contrast? Jairus is a dad who's pleading the cause of his daughter before Jesus. But this woman who has no father that we can tell, Jesus has become her father. To Jairus, we're going to see he's going to be the healer. To the woman, he is going to be both father and healer. Because he becomes to us what we lack. Listen to me, if you're here today and you're lonely, he'll be your friend. If you're here today and, and you're fatherless, He'll be your father. If you're here today and you're poor, he will be your riches. So what does he say? He says, go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. Be freed. I think maybe that terminology of being free is difficult for us to understand here in the United States because, praise God, we are free. But you go somewhere where uh, freedom is not... Uh, taken for granted, and it's not an assumption, and you tell them that they have freedom, that they've been freed, and I think that we would, we would have a better understanding of that if we lived somewhere where we weren't free. And so here's this woman, unclean, defiled, touching someone everyone regards to be a holy man. Now let me ask you, what happens when something unclean comes into contact with something that is clean? The clean thing gets unclean, right? The clean thing gets dirty. My son's been playing baseball. They played down at Prescott uh, this past weekend, and he's got, you know, their uniforms are solid white. One of, well, one of their uniforms is solid white, and uh, they're playing on a red clay field, you know? So uh, mom loves that. She loves that to death. Cause, and, and dad actually loved it. Mom was out of town this weekend. Dad had to clean uh, the uniform, and uh, I'm not nearly as skilled uh, at cleaning things as my wife is because uh, a few a long time ago I I messed up real bad and dried something of hers that wasn't supposed to be put in the dryer. Um, so if you ever want to get out of laundry duty, men, just mess up one of your wife's favorite blouses or. Uh, pair of pants, you know, do it, uh, do it right, mess it up real good, and, and you'll forever uh, be uh, excused from doing laundry. So anyway, I, I ran his, uh, you know, sprayed the stuff on it, just like my wife had given me instructions, and uh, get it out, and still dirty. Spray it again, wash it again, still dirty. Third time, it's like it looked acceptable. But uh, still, you can still see a little bit of a, you know, clay stain in the pants. Why? Because something clean came into contact with something dirty. It's not, the, the dirt didn't become clean by coming in contact with his clean uniform, right? We understand this in relation to sickness. There's a reason that Brother Jeff stayed home today. It's because he doesn't want to infect anyone else, Right? You don't, I, I don't cough and, you know, I transpose my cold onto you and now you have my cold and I'm, I'm all of a sudden well because 
you were well and now my sickness has been transposed. No, we're both sick. We're both unclean. We're both dirty. So we understand that this woman who was unclean had come into contact with Jesus and Jesus says that you are clean. Your faith has made you well. It's made you clean. So this is, this is shocking, right? This is what happened to the uncleanness. That's the million dollar question here. And the answer is this, that Jesus takes it into Himself. Takes it upon Himself, the uncleanness. He, he's going to end His life on a cross where He literally becomes our sin, our shame, our uncleanness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin became sin for us. Listen to me. The heart of the Gospel is this. Substitution. Jesus took our place. The place that was rightfully ours under the wrath of God. Jesus took that upon Himself. He became our substitute. That's what we see happening here. We see a picture of that. Our moment of salvation is illustrated here. We touch Jesus in faith and the guilt and penalty of our sin is placed upon Him. And His wholeness, His purity, His goodness, His fellowship with the Father, all of that is transposed onto us. That's, that's the, the heart of the Gospel. This woman is now going home to her family cleansed and healed. And Jesus is going to the cross. That's where He's heading. And while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. We'd almost forgotten about Jairus in all of this, right? Because Jairus at the very beginning of all this says, Jesus, you've got to come. And you've got to... Now, listen... This woman's been sick for 12 years. Jesus could, have, Jesus could have said, listen, daughter, I know you've got an ailment, but I'm on my way to take care of this little girl, this 12-year-old girl. Those of you, anybody in the medical field, we, we know what we would call this. This is not Jesus just being insensitive. We would, we would say that this is malpractice, Right? If Jesus had triaged the situation in a way where he takes care of an ailment that has been going on for 12 years uh, in, spy, you know, in relation to someone who is on death's doorstep, we would say that that's malpractice. No, I will, you know, I'll take care of your cold later. I've got this guy who is, I mean, he's, he's in cardiac arrest. I've got to take care of this situation over here. And so his daughter is at death's door. We almost forget about Jairus in all this. And they come and they give the worst news ever. Your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher any further. And look at that. Uh, look there in your Bibles. Verse 35. Why trouble? Why bother the teacher anymore? Will he think the situation is hopeless now? Do you know how many times, how many potential miracles have died with the thought 
Why bother? Why bother God? It's never too late with Jesus. Did you hear me? It's never too late with Jesus. It's, it's always time to bother Jesus. Overhearing what they say, Jesus heard what was spoken. He said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid. Only believe. And he, per- he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of uh, Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a ter- tumult. Those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why are you making this commotion? Why are you weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. They laughed at him. He took them on and said, Go outside. He takes mom and dad, those who were with him. They went in where the child was lying. And he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and, it sh- and said that something should be given her to eat. So he says, Talitha Kumai, which it's like we might say, I would say this would be the equivalent of saying to your child, sweetheart, get up. It's time, it's time to get ready. It's nothing, nothing regal here. Nothing, uh, nothing resurrecting sounding. You know, nothing uh, that's like theologically just, uh, just deep. Just daughter, sweetheart. It's time to, it's time to get up. And why, why not something deep and theological here? I mean, this little girl has just been resurrected from the dead. I think Mark is teaching us something here. That when you're holding the hand of Jesus, our greatest enemy, the enemy of death, is like taking a nap. Did you get that? The greatest enemy that mankind will ever face, when you're holding the hand of Jesus in faith, Death is like taking a nap. He's going to say to us, Talitha, Kumai, buddy, get up. It's time. Now, what is the meaning of this story for us? Well, one, it shows us how Jesus delivers us from death. Don't get this wrong, a lot of people do. These stories are not primarily about how to get a miracle from Jesus. They're pictures of how we become Christians. Reenactments, you might say, of what it looks like to be converted by Jesus. You see, we're, we're like this woman. Our sin has left us diseased and unclean, guilty, cast out. But unlike this woman, we are in this condition because of our sin. We're not told why she uh, had this issue. Um, she was probably not suffering from any direct act of her own, but we've willfully disobeyed. We are in our condition of guilt and defilement before God because of our sin. We are hopeless 
like this woman, all the cures that we've tried, our self-righteousness, all of those things have failed. Education can't fix our problem. Social engineering can't fix our problem. Technology can't fix our problem. Only the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus can fix our problem. Education and progress and all of these things, all they do is make uh, righteous people more sophisticated in how they uh, pursue their selfishness, right? Uh, I think we all understand that uh, you know, nothing can fix uh, us. Problems like selfishness and pride, they're not cured by education or scientific progress or government regulation. Really religious, proud, selfish people are worse than regular, proud, selfish people. Really educated, proud, selfish people are worse than regular, proud, selfish people. Uh, Religious rules can tell us how we ought to be, but they can't make us what we ought to be. Only the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ can do that. We can't make ourselves undead, and that's what we are. Paul tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We can't make ourselves undead. Only the power of the gospel can do that. And like this woman, we have to fight through the crowds. We have to reach out for Jesus intentionally. You don't get the power of Jesus by just being around Him. Listen, just coming to church doesn't get you right with God. Just having uh, you know, a, someone who is affiliated with religion, with God, doesn't make you right with God. You do that on, on, your, on His terms, personally and individually. God, you've probably heard the phrase before that God has no grandchildren. Just because your mom and dad and whomever, uh, they were Christians, doesn't mean that, that you're a Christian. You have to trust Him. You have to reach out in faith like this woman and grab hold. And like this little girl, we need someone to save us from certain death. Death is our ultimate enemy. Death brings an abrupt uh, end to every relationship, every meaningful pursuit. There's nothing sadder than hearing an atheist talk about death. Try to put a positive spin on it. You know, he's a good person, she was a good person, did some good things, touched people in this way. His life had meaning. But for that person, it's all gone. It's all gone. Steve Jobs, uh, in his interview with 60 Minutes before he passed away with cancer, uh, said that throughout his life he'd sometimes believed in God, sometimes he hadn't. It was about 50-50. But as he grew closer to his coming death, he found himself really wanting to believe in an afterlife and choosing to believe in it. Because he hated the thought that when you died, it all just disappeared. All the wisdom, all the relationships, all of it just gone. And here's what happened. Jesus faced our supreme enemy, death. So that if we go into it holding his hand, it's like nothing but a nap. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that 
Jesus has taken the sting out of death. Uh, I heard about this dad who was driving in a car with his little girl who was allergic to bees, highly allergic. Uh, some, of you may, some of you may carry an EpiPen with you because of this. I've got a couple of co-workers who you know, we, we know that uh, they're very allergic to, uh, to uh, insect stings. and You know what it's like having an insect in your car, a horse fly or something like that, or a bee or a wasp that you don't want in there. It's, I mean, it's a, you know, the best thing to do is to just pull off to the side of the road. Don't, don't try to kill it or get it out while you're driving down the interstate at 75 miles an hour. Uh, but this little girl's going crazy. She's, Daddy, Daddy, it's, it's going to sting me. He gets the car to the side of the road and he's trying to get the bee out of the car and unable to do so and not wanting to anger the bee into stinging his daughter. What does he do? He, he grabs the bee and he, he waits for the inevitable sting. Yeah, got him. The little girl, he lets the bee go and uh, the little girl's like, Daddy, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get mad and it's going to come back and sting me. And he's like, no, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Look, the the stinger's right here. It's in my hand. And so we look at Jesus and what we see is that He absorbed the sting of death. So that if you are in Christ, death is nothing but a temporary nuisance. The sting of it is gone. That's why Jesus is the only way to the Father. He came out of death victorious. He overcame death. You see, he, he died, but he overcame it. He was powerful beyond death. So, what I want you to see here is that the primary healing we need, that you need, is not physical, it's spiritual. People read these stories and assume it's about their job, it's about their health. And Listen, Jesus will help you with those things. I promise you, he will. But the primary meaning of these stories is about how Jesus heals us from our ultimate problem, sin, and the result of that problem, our ultimate enemy, death. The one who dies peacefully in his sleep at 100 years old, surrounded by his friends and family, without Jesus, still loses everything. And the person who dies in the prime of their life uh, with Jesus has everything to look forward to. One of the other things that we see in this is how Jesus works in our daily lives. These stories show us how to approach Jesus with our problems. Listen to me. Faith engages a power from God, a power that is not available to you until you depend on it. I don't want you to miss that. Faith engages a power from God, and it is a power that is not available to you until you depend on it. Both people here had to depend. That faith was not, the, the result of that faith was not activated until it was exercised. Listen, God is, God is a God that loves to get you out of your comfort zone. God is not a God of comfort. He's a God of peace, but not so much a God of comfort. And whenever I say comfort, allow me to define that term to, to some extent. What I'm talking about is, is uh, you know, the kind of comfort that I enjoy sitting at home in my recliner, uh, you know, 
just everything's at peace, everything is good, I'm watching TV, and uh, you know, so I'm, I'm super comfortable. God is not a God who wants you sitting in your recliner uh, you know, watching, watching TV all the time. God is a God who wants to stretch you, and He wants to move you. He wants you to exercise faith in Him. And when you do exercise faith in Him, you get more than what you even bargained for. And that's what we see in this story, right? Both people get more than what they bargained for. Listen to me. God's plan for you is so much better and so much bigger than your plan for you. Both people in this account, Jairus gets more than he bargained for. His daughter is brought back from death. And the woman is completely healed. And uh, she's given a right relationship with God. She risked everything on the belief Jesus would help her, and he did. Listen, Jesus will not turn anyone away who comes to him in faith. If you come to him in faith today, he will not turn you away. Now, I know God is not a, a genie in a bottle where you rub him with faith and he gives you whatever you wish, whatever you wish. But Scripture teaches that faith engages a power from God that is not there until you believe. One of the easiest illustrations I can think of is the walking on water with Peter. What does he do? He's got the ability. He's got he he exercises faith. He steps out in faith and he walks on water until what point? Till he takes his eyes off of Jesus. And then he begins to sink. So, when we parent, when we, uh, when we uh, share the gospel, when we step out there in faith, there will be a power available to us that we don't know we have until we engage in that act of faith. Jesus never turned anyone away who came to him for help. Not one single person. The moment you lean on him, you can be sure he's working in your situation. He's working for your good. And that he's holding you up even above the waves, the waves of destruction. Now the disciples can't figure out why Jesus is stopping. Jairus can't figure it out. Jesus' reaction confuses and terrifies the woman, but everyone gets more than they bargain for. Don't, uh, and I think one of the things that we see in this is that God's plan is often different from ours, but it's always better than ours. Uh, so, His timing may confuse you. It may even frustrate you. But understand this, that He's weaving it all together perfectly. And it is, it is for your good and His glory. I love the way that Paul says in the verse that I referenced earlier where he says that God's removed the sting of death. Why? Because he, in 1 Corinthians 15, it tells us that he swallowed death. Have you ever thought about that? When you swallow something, what, what happens? Actually, it becomes, becomes part of you, right? You swallow it and it, it becomes part of you. And death is swallowed up, Paul tells us, by victory. So our experiences with pain and death 
make the end product sweeter and even more beautiful. And we've all seen this, and maybe you've experienced it. You go through suffering, you go through pain, and, and what happens? You come, out, you come out a better person through the pain and the suffering. You see, because God takes that situation and He uses it to activate your faith. He uses it to show you who He is more clearly and uh, maybe more beautifully. Uh, he weaves it all into this beautiful story. You see, He doesn't take the, the memories and wipe it away, but he, he weaves it into a beautiful story that's made even sweeter by those painful moments. In the Lord of the Rings, uh, Tolkien said, you know, he, one day every sad thing is going to become untrue. Sad things aren't going to go away. They're just going to be made untrue. Death is going to be swallowed up by victory. That's what happens in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what happens when you reach out in faith and touch Him. And listen, that's the story that Jesus is promising to write in your life if you trust Him. So what's the takeaway for the Christian today? The takeaway is this. The takeaway is actually the same for both the Christian and the non-Christian. The same Jesus is here today. And you can approach Him just like, these, just like Jairus approached Him, just like the unnamed woman approached Him, because He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can bring all of your uncleanness, all of your guilt, all of your shame. You can bring your sickness. You can bring everything to Him. You can fall at His feet and know that He will receive you. Know that He will accept you. I would say that the, uh, one of the just application points for Christians today is how, how can we keep news that good to ourselves? It's the most selfish act in the world if we keep this news to ourselves. And I would say that it's, uh, it is a sin, maybe the worst sin against a holy God to keep the news of Jesus Christ to ourselves. We've got a world that is lost and dying and going to hell all around us. The field is white unto harvest, friends. Let's share the gospel, the substitutionary, atoning death of Jesus with the world around us. Would you stand? So our musicians come forward. I don't, know, I don't know what you may be dealing with today. Uh, a lot of times I struggle with what I'm dealing with and putting a finger on what I'm dealing with. Uh, but I know this. I know God knows what you're dealing with. I may not have the answer for what you're dealing with, but I know the one who does have the answer. His name is Jesus. And if you come to Him in faith, this morning, He will not turn you away. He is faithful. He loves you. He wants the best for you. So in faith, this morning, step out. Receive Him.
I'm going to pray, and then, Brother Brian, I'll turn it over to you. Father God, we love you, and we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for uh, what he went through on our behalf. Uh, and Father, I pray that if there's a person here this morning who, uh, Father, if they need to just in their heart right now, uh, trust you, and uh, if they've got things going on in their lives that, uh, Father, they they know that they can't deal with, and Father, I pray that they might lay that at your feet. Father, I pray that you might give this church a, a heart for the lost, a desire to share the gospel with uh, this community that you've entrusted to them. Uh, Father, in, in all of our lives, may we, within our spheres of influence, uh, share and live out the gospel uh, so that we might rescue the perishing. Father, help us to do it. Help us to do it for your honor and glory. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.